February 26, 2024, allegedly, according to that thing we call a calendar. This, the Ocelli Effect, you listening to us, hopefully, uh, somewhere, could be on the live stream, but more likely on the podcast and those feeds. So no matter who you are, where you are, when you are, welcome to it. Anyway, it's Monday. And uh, I don't usually do live broadcasts on Monday, and I'm an hour early off of my schedule, but I had to. Why? Uh, I had to find a way to book the one and only James Corbett, CorbettReport.com, uniquely continuing to be consistent and doing solid work out there, actually being, uh, hate to use the term anymore, alternative media, but actually being an alternative to your corporate media and consistently doing solid work and uh what what can i say the guy is the longest standing one out there that i know of <laughs> and uh I, I i do pay attention to a lot of media and we're going to discuss that so had to go early had to get to it and well that's what we're going to do and i'm going to start off actually with my observations from a show he does and can't help the puppies in the other room guys I'm so, so sorry, but I got six puppies that are out of control in the other room, so you might hear barking during the show. Uh, as you well know, there were seven, and we are rehoming them. So if you're anywhere near Georgia, Macon, Georgia, get in touch with me, and I do have a wonderful little mini mutt for you if you'd like. Anyways, <laughs> um, James, let's begin with the media, because the media thing that you were covering on New World Next Week uh, man, it's, it's amazing to me what's happening, all the implications. Before we go there though, how you doing tonight? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Ah, getting there. You know, like I said, anxious to hear from you about this. Uh, George Soros, one of the usual suspects. <laughs> what, what is it? I mean, I was covering the story last week about, uh, his son and the involvement with Anthony Weiner's ex, uh, you know, and all that good stuff, but, uh, there, there's something going on in media we need to know about at this point. And you and, uh, of course, Mr. Pilato over there at, uh, uh, you know, Media Monarchy, you guys covered this on New World Next Week. And uh, tell us a little bit about that story. And also, guys, go over to CorbettReport.com, get New World Next Week, and you can go back in the archives and uh, and get it over there. And, and it's just always amazing, informative, and great. But anyway, I find this one comical and um Tell us a little bit about that story you started out with uh, to get things rolling here. Sure. So the, the story revolves around something called Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y, which apparently, hey, I'm not up on my commercial radio in the United States. I'm a Canadian in Japan. But apparently Odyssey is the second largest broadcaster in the United States behind iHeartMedia, which, of course, used to be called Clear Channel. Right. Um, and Odyssey owns apparently 235 radio stations in 48 different media markets in the U.S., and they are in bankruptcy because, of course, they are, as most of the dinosaur media is at this point. And they are apparently being rescued from that bankruptcy, question mark, by the Soros Fund Management Team, which apparently is uh, prepared to acquire $400 million of Odyssey's highest ranking debt. So that's the story. Apparently, Soros is taking a big stake in a floundering radio company. And my hot take on this basically was – Really? Are people still getting their political views from the radio? I guess I'm just living in a different demographic in a different part of the world, but I just find that hard to believe in and of itself. But anyway, there you go. Soros is apparently going to be 
the mastermind and media manipulator behind a bunch of radio stations in the near future. Mm. Well, there's still a place for it, and there has been massive consolidation going on, uh, all of that stuff being swept up into the iHeart monstrosity, which was Clear Channel. Um, is certainly, it, it's still a player somehow, and I can't figure it out. It doesn't make sense on the surface, but it does continue to be a presence. Uh, believe it or not, James, AM radio still exists in America, too. Uh, you know, the microwave medium. Um, but yeah, it's, it's weird, but at the same time, they're also transitioning into podcasting and it's becoming something else, much like our, you know, our good friend over there at Twitter X is turning that platform into something else. Each one of these, uh, distributions of content is becoming something else. Uh, th- th- there you go. There's the theme for the day becoming something else. The transition, the mutation, the, uh, metamorphosis, if you will, <laughs> of what was and what will be regarding media. Um, but curious that again, one of the usual suspects, uh, getting invested here is buying the debt out of the bankrupt second largest radio company in America. What does it say, though? I mean, what what does it say about that? Are are, are you thinking there's going to be some new innovations, or is this going to be corporate rating, or what what is going on here? What do you think? You know, to be honest, I think that this is people who are seeing the media landscape as it existed throughout the 20th century and are essentially investing in the idea that there's at least enough inertia to keep that model going into the 21st century when that clearly is not the case. You're right. Um, whatever Odyssey becomes, it will have to transition, to use that phrase, um, to something else in order to maintain any specter of prof- profitability in the current media landscape. Um, and so I, I, chalk this up to sort of dinosaur media inertia, essentially. And let's keep in mind that it was another one of uh, Soros's um, uh, management uh, to fund team ideas to invest in bankrupt um, vice media last year. Um, I believe there was a $350 million um, buyout that included Soros as one of the lenders um, for that floundering new media company that uh, once was apparently valued at six billion dollars if you can believe that and is now actually getting to the point where they're actually going to even scrap their own website and just go to basically like studio production for for other outlets because they can't afford to do anything because i I, the way i frame all of this is that new media has eaten the old media's lunch and it is people like you and me and other people out there just regular people who suddenly realize hey we have a voice we have a worldwide platform let's use it who have completely and totally run circles around the dinosaur media yes there are people still trapped in dinosaur media land and maybe they will listen to whatever soros is spoon feeding them but honestly that just speaks more to their own stupidity than it does to the great genius of someone like soros I see. And that's the funny part about this is that they, they have invaded our space at this point. Right. When you saw Tucker Carlson saying to himself, well, basically, I'm going to do a live podcast on Twitter uh, coming off of his dismissal at Fox. Right. And then becoming oddly enough, James, and I don't know what is going on with the psychology here, but a whole lot of indie media people started to laud him as a brand yeah. new hero of independent <laughs> media. And I'm saying to myself, this is exactly the guy who was on every dinosaur platform. Forget about his time at Fox. He was on CNBC. He was on MSNBC. He was on CNN. 
This is a guy who was everywhere throughout the corporate alphabet soup, and he is who applied to the CIA but didn't get in. By the way, right, well. <laughs> right. I lo- I love that. By the way, during the Putin interview. By the way, you tried to get in with the CIA, didn't you? But they didn't take you. <laughs> I I love that. Um. But but here we go, right? He's the failed Anderson Cooper, and now he's uh, working with Musk. You know, and why do I say that? Failed Anderson yeah. Cooper is actually the best description of Tucker Carlson I've ever heard. Well, okay, but look, you you got to you got to hear the stuff I throw out every once in a while. I'm apparently <laughs> I'm apparently crude and rude, but people pick up on my uh, my throwaway lines. It's it's great, um, and they run with them. But it's the weirdest thing to watch people starting to believe that some of these guys are now going to transition, become something else because they're part of the platform. And even and, I and, and you know what? Yeah. To some extent, I understand that people who just take everything on surface level, they they are seeing something different. Tucker Carlson, they have no idea that 15 years ago he was literally spitting in the face of people like Jason Burmis and, you know, 9-11 truthers. And, oh, my God, I'm not even going to talk to you, you wackadoodles. Right. And now he's getting up on his totally independent platform now to go, hey, guys, you know, it's kind of weird that I'm not allowed to talk about World Trade Center Building 7 and haven't been for the past 23 years. Where have you been, Tucker Carlson? <laughs> and now everyone's lauding him as if he's some saint descended from heaven because, oh my God, this really popular corporate media CIA wannabe is now saying things that we've been saying for over 20 years. Welcome to the party. <laughs> yeah, I find it ironic and hilarious. Same time, you know, much like I told you, I found it strange. And I know this is a touchy subject with some people, but all of a sudden, RT, even though people that were, again, indie media people, uh, very much said, look, we don't want to hear from the government controlled media. But they were lauding RT as a platform of truth. Uh, look, it's a different government. Yes, it's not your government, but it's now an English-speaking platform that is government-controlled. Doesn't that mean uh, – anyway, I'm sorry. I, I, I get into the wrong directions on these things all the time, I guess. Um Look, Tucker Carlson's one thing, but again, even with the, uh, you, you know, you mentioned the, the main competitor to the bankrupt company, uh, iHeartMedia – well, look, I'm utilizing iHeartMedia at this point. Why? Because they bought a whole bunch of things that podcasters were using. I use Spreaker to distribute my show at this point, right? And Spreaker was bought by iHeart. <laughs> so, you know, iHeart has picked up a whole bunch of stuff. I'm wondering if this Soros, you know, he bought the debt, so he's leveraging it uh, again. But I wonder if that's going to mean we're now going to see, you know, iHeartMedia Jr., and they're going to buy up the other failed uh, podcast platforms, failed video platforms, which there have been many uh, over the years, and maybe put them all together, consolidate them, and turn it into some new monster. And meanwhile, Elon Musk has, guess what, uh, 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 you know, I know you know, James, but basically you can go and live stream and podcast straight on his stuff. Twitter Spaces now has basically impromptu radio shows, which you can create and then distribute later. Uh Put them up on Rumble, another new platform. I mean, it's so weird to watch this transition happen where here comes the corporate media into our space and not just YouTube. I mean, YouTube is no longer our space, but 10, 15 years ago, I would have said it was. I mean, it's just it's the wildest thing. What, what, you know, do you have any other thoughts on this? Well, the only other that the, the most common feedback that I've gotten on this is, James, you don't understand when they do the Internet takedown and 
take take everyone offline. Well, it's just going to be radio then, and you know, then it'll be Soros show basically. Okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I'll believe it when I see it. You're you're absolutely right. They are planning for the entire takedown of the internet, and George Soros is going to be up there telling people what what's what. And I guess I I guess you're completely right. And this is why he's investing hundreds of millions of dollars in it. I'll believe that when I see it. Anyway, I'm in Japan, so I won't be hearing Soros on the radio. I'm sure it'll be <laughs> the Japanese equivalent thereof. But at any rate, um, I think it's a I think you're right. What iHeartRadio and Odyssey and these other platform broadcasters have to do in the future is not really radio. It's everything but radio. It's all the all the services and things that they provide to podcasters and things is where their bread will be buttered if it is buttered at all. And, uh, you know, I just I'm not losing sleep over (laughs) over Soros spending money on legacy media outlets. There you go. And connected by proximity really is the funny story about Anthony Weiner's ex. Uh, <laughs> who am I talking about? Uma Abedin, right? Uh, just saying that name is, is pretty strange, but do we remember who Anthony Weiner was? Well, his name gives you a clue. Um, if you remember scandals and such, but, uh, apparently she's got a bit of a relationship with the, uh, Playboy son of George Soros, or is that his grandson? I don't know. I'm missing the lineage here. Uh, it doesn't matter. I think it's his son. I'm just playing around, but, um, but, but, but here we go. That's happening too. And you guys covered that on new world next week as well. Didn't you? (laughs) Yes, we did. So anyway, um, getting away from all of that. Okay. And not even asking you to comment on the current American politic, because believe me, you're going to spend a lot of time on it this year, no matter what. And plenty of selection processes, seemingly about half of the world's population is going to participate in, uh, you know, allegedly electing new leaders this year. Um, and, of course, we have the race coming up in 2024 between the old man and the old man. And, uh, you know, that's the way it stands, maybe possibly, although Bobby Kennedy Jr., uh, looking strange at 70 being the younger guy in the race, um, you know, and I'd love to see him get some success because that would show that maybe the one party system doesn't have the same stranglehold it, it, it has had on us for so long. But forget about American politics for a minute. Let's talk about, well, the possibility of World War Three as per usual. Uh, are we in it already? What about the fact that we're in regional conflicts? And again, with media, how about the fact that our corporate media, at least here in the West, has certainly not shifted from its very Israel, pro-Israel, no matter what, and it doesn't matter what side you look at it from, you have to support Israel. They're our only ally in the Middle East, after all, and so on and so forth. And I get tired if I want to, you know, recite all of the rhetoric. But point is, is that public sentiment seems to be shifting. Other sentiments seem to be shifting. And maybe there's more than one side to that coin. Um I never saw that before. What are your thoughts on that? The the conflict post uh, October, what was it, second or seventh? I think it was the seventh, October seven. Yes, um, post October seven, and what's gone on there regarding that conflict, which is absolutely horrible and horrifying. Um, what are your thoughts as far as the coverage, the way the media has handled it, and in general? Well, this is something that I did remark on in New World Next Week, actually, when we covered uh, this a few months back, where I noted that I think the real corporate dinosaur media shift in coverage started to take place during, uh, was it Operation Castle Ed back in 2014? Hmm. Um, 
whichever whichever wittily named operation they were running um, to genocide the population of Gaza at that time. Uh, I did notice that there, the corporate media at least started to allow and start to report on stories about some of the atrocities that were taking place that the IDF were committing on innocent people in that uh, region. And they were starting to talk about some of those atrocities in a way that I had never heard in my lifetime. There's no point at, at any point in my lifetime previous to that that the uh, corporate controlled media in the U.S. or Canada or the Western world would have talked about those types of atrocities. At least they started mentioning them on air. They didn't, of course, give any significant time to the Palestinian side of the issue, but they at least started to mention it. So I thought there was a sort of change that started to take place about a decade ago. And I think we're still continuing to see that at, at the very least, the crack has been opened and there is at least more qu- openly questioning open questioning of IDF and Israeli government official pronouncements. One example of that I pointed to in my fake news awards this year, um, my fake news story of the year was um, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu tweeting out the IDF computer animation of the dastardly terrorist mastermind fortress space that was apparently under the Al-Shifa hospital, which allowed and justified the bombing to smithereens of that hospital. Um, well, as it turns out, that was a fake news story from top to bottom. And as I pointed out in in, in that fake news segment, I, I even pointed out even the Washington Post and other dinosaur Western establishment mouthpiece lapdog media outlets were happy to report that, oh, you know what? This doesn't actually add up. And the Israeli government, at the very least, has not proven its claim on this matter, which, again, is not very far, but is farther than I think I've ever seen in my lifetime as to Western establishment media outlets even beginning to question the Israeli government pronouncements. So there has been a perceptual shift that's taken place. At least that's my perception of it. Perhaps you have a different view from of that there in the belly of the beast in the U.S., well, no, actually, I, I do believe that there was a bit of a shift, but it seemed as though we were going in the uh, the old direction, the previous direction during the course of my entire lifetime. There was never uh, any approach of the other side of the story, occasionally acknowledging there may have been a mistake made here or there. But other than that, it seemed very, very light on that side of the issue. Um, and now I see the media still clutching its pearls about it all, but they're beginning to acknowledge that there might be another side of the story. It's a very slow walk uh, that I'm seeing currently, but on the street, it's another issue. Uh, and, and people are beginning to look at it differently, um, except for those that are sort of stuck in nostalgia land, which eh, what are you going to do? You know, they, they're, they're, they're still with the idea and still with the concept of the only reason why maybe you're not cheering for Putin, Chuck, is because you think that uh, they still did the USSR and you have those old prejudices. And the funny thing is, I didn't have those prejudices back then. Uh, even somebody who had, you know, uh, approached people regarding Lee Harvey Oswald and, and, and talking to people who were in the Soviet Union at that time back then. I had often said that the people of the Soviet Union had nothing to do with the policy and the Cold War rhetoric that we were dealing with here. Um, you know, this idea that the people were all against us and all that, that was purely American propaganda and paranoia, uh, you know, meeting together rather nicely in a blender. Um, and I was always on that side of it. Yet I'm not really all that thrilled with Vladimir Putin and what's going on there. And oh, by the way, aren't you amazed that that conflict has continued to go on as long as it has? Um, which is the next thing I wanted to turn to with you is your, your view on that and the fact that, well, Western media now almost ignoring the conflict there, although they're paying plenty of attention to Putin and 
the recent death of the opposition leader, of course, in prison, they give a little bit of light to that, but no longer covering it, even though not too long ago, it was the cause celebre. It was the thing that they needed to talk to Sean Penn about. It was the thing that they needed to focus on. And they were constantly, you know, uh, virtue signaling about Ukraine. And that was the thing. Now that's sort of gone into quiet mode. What, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, basically the same as I've ha- held about this conflict ever since it, it well, began, quote unquote, until 2022. Where do you start the clock? But if we do start the clock in 2022, my, I, I haven't really changed position on this. Uh, the NATO Western side of this conflict has never been particularly puzzling. They're obviously attempting to give Russia a type of Afghanistan situation, uh, a Vietnam situation, a let's bleed them dry, but in this proxy war type of situation, and they've been remarkable, su- remarkably successful in that. The only other side of this, and the one that is open to any permits any sort of speculation or debate, is what is what is really the Russian objective here, and what what did they hope to gain out of this? Why are they continuing to do this after two plus years? Like what is what is going on here? Um, and I think the only answers you can come to is that either Putin is not the five D master manipulator chess master mind grandmaster of the uh, the global chessboard that his fanboys in the so-called not really independent media tend to portray him as or he is in on it and those are your options um so either he's an incompetent boob or he's uh, actually a, a just another player at the table i think as always i've said that the only thing that putin and xi jinping and these other bricks quote unquote saviors the the people standing up to quote unquote to the globalists the only thing they want is another seat at the table they want to make sure they get a good seat at the new world order table and that's that's the only calculation i think that's in it for them but let's just take it at face value putin's special military operation and what it was supposedly out there to accomplish one of which was the denazification of ukraine and another was to make sure that they would not be be a neutral country and would not be on the nato side well that has been spectacularly remarkably unbelievably unsuccessful to the point where i think it has accomplished the exact opposite of those at least stated aims so again putin is either a complete bumbling boob who can't accomplish anything or he is lying or maybe a little bit of both. Why not both? And uh, the, what else has he accomplished with this other than sending however many tens of thousands of Russian troops and, and tanks and equipment and money and resources into the meat grinder and enacting draconian laws at home that you can't even call this a war, um, et cetera, et cetera. It's just another sign of authoritarian thugism, thugism by someone, a megalomaniacal leader who realizes that his bread is buttered on rousing up patriotic sympathy um, when needed. And uh, it's just a cynical political ploy. Anyway, that's my hot take on this. No, fair enough. Uh, what about the general idea, though, the general concept? Because, of course, uh, especially during times when tensions are nervous uh, in America, people are, uh, especially in the past decade, really heavily discussing the possibility of a civil war, a conflict. What's going to arise out of the 2024 selection? Uh, you know, are you going to have the return of the grand orange savior? Uh, you know, orange Jesus, as one of my callers likes to say on my call in show, uh, you know, is, is this what's, uh, what's happening? Is this the positive move in the world? Um, I don't think it really matters who's going to sit in the White House, whether it's the orange guy or the guy who doesn't know what shape a house is actually in. Um, I, 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 I tell you, I see incompetence and incompetence and wonder who's really going to run things. But other than that, um, 
you know, what are we looking at here? Are we looking at a, a possible civil conflict in the U.S.? Uh, I know you would think that I might be in a better position to answer that question, but I have no idea as I watch, you know, the year of the lawsuit continue to unfold um, and all of these charges, which I think are going to amount to nothing against Trump. The charges that continue to amount to nothing against, uh, you know, Joe, who can't seem to get through a sentence and is mixing everything up <laughs> rather nicely. Although I got to tell you, Trump's gaffe today, earlier today, uh, you know, regarding how uh, he relates to black people because uh, he understands getting indicted. Uh, I got to tell you, it was it was a showstopper for me. But eh, what are you going to do? Um, I, I think that we need to look at this uh, more in a large chessboard way. And I'm wondering exactly how close we are to being able to declare that we have a worldwide conflict, considering that there are enough regional battles occurring Despite the fact that the, again, the, the corporate dinosaur media here only wants to show you one of them. There's enough live fire action on the planet that we're not too far from being able to say that we are in a uh, state of global conflict. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Do you think we're going to get there by the end of the year? Is this, you know, is this the ignition point? What are we looking at? Well, when we bring up the specter of World War III, I know there are always those people in the audience who have the hot take or what they consider to be some sort of hot take that, you know, actually, we're already in the Third World War. Well, they understand that because I have said that many, 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 many times myself. I will point people, for example, to my uh, questions for Corbett on what will World War III look like. Yeah. I also um, have talked about it in the context of um, warfare, uh, fifth generation warfare. I did a Your Guide to Fifth Generation Warfare where it talks about that specifically. Yes, we are in a global war already and it is a war of every nation state against their own citizens and it takes place on every level economic social and otherwise but that being understood there is still such a thing as actual global military conflict and trust me when we are in the midst of world war three there will be no debate about whether we are in the midst of world war three in the same way there was no real debate about whether we were in the midst of world war two or world war one it will be very apparent. I agree completely that we are in a series of cascading military actions and interactions that are certainly do add up to conflict around the globe. But I don't think it's quite the same as World War Three. And I think we know already what the outlines of a World War Three scenario are. We already see the battle lines being drawn. We don't have to continually speculate about this. Obviously, it is Russia, China, Iran, the resistance bloc, so-called, against the NATO Western countries and the traditional military alliances that they have with Japan and Korea and, well, military domination, etc. So, again, this is all quite obvious and on the table. The only question is, how do we get from here to the point of actual open outright conflict between great powers? And I think my again, I have nothing. I, I am not some prognosticator. I cannot tell. But I do know that generally speaking, uh, these types of conflicts do not happen in the way that everyone is expecting. So if everyone is expecting World War Three starts with some sort of nuclear exchange in Ukraine, I am skeptical about that sort of a kickoff event. I think it will be something that is seen to be peripheral. And maybe I'm biased being here in the Asia Pacific, but I think something like a Taiwan type event where China starts to make its moves on Taiwan could be the the trigger for a, gra a grander global conflict. Now, it's also important, I think, for us in the alternative independent media to point out that this coming global conflict, which 
If I were, again, a betting man, which I am not, but if I were, uh, it, perhaps in the next three to five years, I would say we're heading towards some sort of actual physical military confrontation between great powers. But um, it, having said that, I, I, I think that uh, we have to state like World War One and World War Two, that there is a grander geopolitical manipulation that's taking place here that, that has nothing to do with the the 2D nation state conflict that we will see play out in on the chessboard. And by the way, we'll really take people's lives. I'm not downplaying that. But I think the, the conflict itself is being manipulated. And in order to understand that, we have to go back to the previous examples of this World War One, World War Two, the Cold War itself, which, as I've pointed out many times, people like Anthony Sutton have exhaustively documented was set up by the same people that were controlling both sides of that conflict. And I think that goes directly back to what you were saying about orange Jesus and all of this, you know, Biden, Trump nonsense that will distract the American American population to no end over the course of the coming year, which it comes down to the question, which, by the way, was just posed by um, Aaron and Melissa Dykes, Truth Stream Media. They just had a very good video up about this. Who are we supposed to believe is running the country? And obviously, nobody in their right mind thinks that Biden <laughs> or the character playing Joseph Biden is really running the country. He's the one making all the decisions, guys. He can't remember what he had for breakfast. But my God, is he directing the entire country? Of course, that is nonsense. That is childish garbage. We know that there are powers above the so-called president leader of the free world um, who is sitting there in the Oval Office. And it has nothing to do with that in the exact same way that the to the only extent that Trump had anything to do um, with the scandemic was to give his green light and thumbs up to the Operation Warp Speed and all of that nonsense and all of the biosecurity measures that were going on. Um, the people who think they're going to vote their way out of this conflict or into freedom are absolutely delusional and out to lunch. No, look, uh, I can't argue with a single thing you just dropped there. I mean, it's just, it, it's so obvious, but uh, but we're, we're still seeing the... Again, th th this oddity uh, out there uh, among what I think is independent media, and and you notice how I'm reticent to, de to declare anything, anything at this point. It's very confusing. Um, like I said, there there are people out there that are making a lot of statements and are out there to push their opinions, not doing any of the research. They barely know who they're talking about. I guarantee you, they couldn't find things on a map that they're discussing. Uh, and yet they're just going with this, uh, grand sentimentality, um, which does seem to be the primary driver and the thing that's going to be leveraged against them as we go forward. I think the bigger game and, and the war that is always the silent war, um, is the economic situation here where people's movements, people's ability to engage in anything is going to be limited. Uh, you know, I know the discussions about taking the Internet down and, OK, Soros is getting in because, you know, we're going to be stuck with FM radio or AM radio again, uh, so on and so forth. And get yourself ready. The preppers are getting excited. Um, I understand all that. And at all times, we should be aware that there's plenty of um, delicate systems that could be taken away. That's for sure. At any moment. True. But I don't think it is at that point just yet. And global conflict, even though it seems like we're running up to it, the conventional idea about a worldwide war, we're not there just yet. But I am getting the sense that we're on our way. Um, so is it possible that these changes that come up, 
Uh, like I said, across the planet, if you observe, there are many regime changes that are about to take place, allegedly, because of the voting, the systems, the whatever. Um, do you think that there's going to be any big surprises emerging uh, here regarding some of the nation states that are being ignored, basically, not covered by anybody, uh, India or otherwise, that are going to play a significant role here? Like, for instance... We haven't heard a lot out of India as of recently, have we, as far as uh, their their plans? And that's a major, a major economic uh, element to what goes on in uh, a huge part of the world. We're not hearing a lot about them. And the moment that we stop hearing about a very significant population and their effect on things is the moment that I get a little bit nervous because that means something is going to emerge of significance that's going to be drastic in the near future. Um this is my attempt out loud to prognosticate, right? And it sounds terrible, doesn't it? Because right now we're being fed a whole lot of garbage. Official pronouncements, they're hiding a lot of things more than they used to, despite the fact that we have instant access to information, allegedly, again, uh, from all corners of the world. So, I mean, we're in a unique time period here once again. And... um I'm just wondering what, you know, what it is that you need to tell people about how they can prepare themselves to deal with this. What What is the thing that they need to pay attention to, to know how to comport their way through this uh, seemingly chaotic and yet seemingly planned time that we're about to travel through? Because I think it's going to be a very interesting 12 months, James. I, I have no doubt that you're correct about that. Um, the only question is how it plays out. And you raise a good point about, okay, so what is being excluded from our attention and how might that play in it, into it? For example, India, you are quite correct, is an incredibly important player in whatever they have coming up in this new conflict that they're, they're brewing up, um, for, between the West and the so-called resistance countries. And what role does India play in that? Um, given that India is not only being actively courted by the Western NATO military establishment, as evidenced by the fact that the U.S. now refers to the Asia-Pacific as the Indo-Pacific, mm-hmm. specifically as a way of trying to butter up India. And, oh, you guys, you guys are really where, you know, our, our, where, where our diplomatic focus is in the Asia-Pacific region. It's the Indo-Pacific region. You guys are so important. We want you. Of course, they are just playing up the traditional um, tensions that uh, exist between India and China. In fact, India and China do have an active and ongoing border conflict that sometimes fr- flares up into actual military activity. So that is something to keep our eyes on. At the same time, India is also being actively courted by that so-called um, resistance, not only being a, a named member of the so-called BRICS, but being part now of this Shanghai Cooperation Organization, the sort of quasi-Chinese Chinese answer to the NATO um, grouping, which um, it puts it in a very interesting position. And you, you can imagine how Modi might be able to play both sides of that in order to try to get the most out of it. Although when we come to an actual open conflict, you, well, some side will have to be chosen or or neutrality, which might be difficult to balance. But yeah, India is one of those excluded um, parts of this story that doesn't get a lot of attention. Here's another excluded part that doesn't get much attention, Africa and the scramble for Africa that has been going on 
more or less quietly for the past couple of decades between China specifically and, again, the Western countries, um, between this idea of China coming in with all of this largesse from its recent amazing windfalls um, of the past couple of decades, coming in with the capital to invest in infrastructure projects that, oh, by the way, also benefit the Chinese economy and, oh, by the way, also come with strings attached so that they can start reclaiming some of these deep deep sea ports and other things that they're constructing if and when these African countries default on their loans, exactly as the World Bank IMF system does. And you have the American Western NATO-led version of that, which is more guns and boots on the ground. And there is a secret war that has been going on in Africa for a couple of decades now that could come to a head as part of this conflict. I think that's all interesting stuff to keep in mind. But it does, as you say, it raises the question, what should the average person How can the average person who's just literally trying to work their nine to five and put food on their family's table and, oh, by the way, try to keep up with everything that's going on, what should their take on this be? And I would say that the best way to maintain our sanity and our perspective in the coming years is not to fall for the inevitable creation of the boogeyman. And we have seen this throughout every major conflict in history suddenly uh, everybody decides that the the Germans are the the root of all evil. They, the germ, not just the German government. No, the German people are evil and deserve to die. And you should be ginned up into such rage and frenzy that either you are willing to pick up guns and go over there and kill them, or send your children off to do so, um, if you're of that age, um, or you know fill in the blank. It's the the Japanese. It's whoever whoever is the boogeyman evil of that particular moment, and we are going to be ginned up into that kind of homicidal rage in the next great conflict, whether it's the Chinese or the Russians or whoever. And people, you can see how that can go because we have just witnessed, for example, how everyone in the Western world suddenly picked up Ukrainian flags and pretended that they care about the Ukrainian people and hate those Russians with with absolute fervor. Um, People can be ginned up into hating the boogeyman and we have to maintain our heads and stop uh, listening to the talking heads of the Soros-controlled mainstream legacy media who want us to be in this homicidal rage. Well, right, because th- th- this is exactly the, you know, like the post 9-11 fervor that turned into just bomb everything in the Middle East in America, basically. You know, that was the sentimentality that was produced there. It was, I mean, I literally remember that within days of the, the towers falling in New York, uh, just everywhere I went, pretty much, it was like, let's just send everybody there. Uh, people that I knew that had gone in in high school were looking to re-up, to re, re-enter the military, even if they had already left. Um, it was like, let's throw everything at the Middle East became the, the war cry sort of uh, among the population because of the injury inflicted upon America, right? Collectively. Um, do you think that there'll be some, I hate to put it this way. But do you think there'll be some point of ignition, some major singular event that could cause that? And, oh, yeah, I was going to go to Africa next, so you beat me to it. Uh, because, again, when you don't see it in the headlines, you got to wonder what's really going on there. It's usually about what's not being said more than it's about what is being said as far as where the real action is. And I like how you said uh, it's, you know, past couple of decades, the secret war in Africa uh, between the, you know, the, the different forms of colonization one way or another and land acquisition and resource acquisition that has been absolutely ongoing without even a single pause. Uh, just with separate methodologies here. Uh, the Chinese, like you said, with the infrastructure and the 
corporate-based stuff that comes in. Look, we're going to come in. We're going to build power plants. We're going to do this. Oh, by the way, we need to uh, import some people so we can show you how all this works. Uh, and all of a sudden, there's a huge presence there. And by the way, this is our equipment. And oh, by the way, yeah, it's slightly different from the days of, well, since you don't have any money, how about you give us all of your natural resources? It's a little different, <laughs> but uh, the result ends up the same. You know, you default on the loan. And then what happens? They seize the asset, whatever it might be. Um, anyway, getting away from that, though, what do you think? Do you think there will be a large major event that will come up here? There will be a singular kind of uh, codifying event, galvanizing event that causes the population to be in support of, okay, now we need a boogeyman. Who is it? Oh, there it is. We got somebody to declare war on in general. And I don't mean technically in a direct way with Congress and all that in America, but I do mean in a sociological way, in a mass psychosis sort of way, where it's like time to go after one particular people, one particular region, one particular country, like you were talking about, where in World War II, what was it? The Germans became Huns and Jerry's, something like that. I forget what the general terminologies were. But look back to your Popeye cartoons. You can find out, um, you know, because they even did it in the cartoons for the kids back then. Anyway, what do you think about that? You think there's going to be some major, I, I don't even want to say false flag, could be a real event that is seized upon, uh, completely real, 100% organic, but something seized upon, orchestrated, etc., that will be uh, the, the, the major springboard for declaring that boogeyman. What about that? Uh, let's put it this way. I would only be surprised if there was not such an event because there has been for basically every major military conflict of the past couple of hundred years, demonstrably so. If people want an actual documentation of that, I did a podcast a couple of several years ago now called A, uh, a Century of War Lies, right. which talked about how basically every major military conflict you can think of in the American empire history of the past century has been ginned, ginned up and, and set off by some form of, well, in every case that I can document, some form of either a false flag or something that was engineered to happen in a certain way. Um, for example, people might refer to Pearl Harbor as a false flag. I wouldn't refer to it that way because it certainly was the Japanese actually attacking um, Pearl Harbor. It's just that I think that that conflict was manipulated and engineered and the sitting duck of Pearl Harbor was left to be a sitting duck with all of the uh, aircraft carriers conveniently out of port at, during the time of the attack, etc., etc. I've documented that before. But as I say, I think the only surprise would be if such an event were not ginned up in order to get that the public into that state of frenzy. And as you say, it could be a completely 100% real authentic event that is not actually a false flag, but that doesn't mean that the reaction to it is going to be authentic. And one example of that we can point to from just last year was the, remember the Chinese balloon thingy that was absolutely the greatest threat to American security in the history of ever, oh, according Lord, yeah. to CNN and the other bloviating hyperventilators of the dinosaur media. Um, that was a again, yes, I'm sure China did launch something and I'm, who knows what they are doing up there. And we'll, we'll never find out at our level of the information power pyramid. But at any rate, the fact that they made a big deal about this, despite the fact that this happens all of the time anyway, it just shows how much they can direct the public's attention and ire. And that's exactly what I am trying to warn against in the coming conflict that is being engineered. Because as you say, even a real authentic event, if they just seize on it and make it into that big issue, it could be the remember the main for the 21st century. 
sad but true. So look, uh, as we get toward the end of the time, and again, the uh, puppies decide to make a little noise in the background. Again, my apologies. Um, you know, it, 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 I do feel like there's barking dogs everywhere I go, so it's not really that bad. Um, you know, it, it's, I wonder, okay, let me just boil it down to this because I had a couple more questions, but I'm going to skip them and get to something. What do you think is going to be the story that people are going to need to pay attention to in the next couple of months before we really get, uh, into the, uh, the selection news cycle that's going to be unending and we're going to hear every word and uh, noise and every gaffe that comes out of our politicians here. We're going to see that, uh, a lot of places on the planet, by the way, because again, there's a lot of elections coming up. So it's going to be plenty of elections second half of the year, but we still got to get through a few more months here. What do you think is going to be the shiny object that they're going to try and tempt us with? And what do you think is going to be the important story that really is going to have an effect on uh, us as, you know, the little people out here uh, in the in the coming just next few months? What do you think are the upcoming stories? Well, as I intimated earlier, the selection circus is the shiny distraction obstacle that will be put in the American people's way over the next several months and will decide absolutely, completely zero, nothing whatsoever of substance about your life. But it will definitely be the only thing Americans want to talk about for the next several months. So it was nice knowing my American audience. I'll see you again after the selection circus circus, uh, plays out. Um, Having said that, I think personally, I mean, there's no end to the number of things that people should be keeping their eye on. Personally, I am extremely interested in keeping my eye on the next World Health Assembly in Geneva at the end of May, at which the World Health Organization is going to rubber stamp whatever documents they decide to put before the World Health Assembly. And we won't find out about them until it's already rubber stamped, essentially, because they're continuing to negotiate behind closed doors on this. But whatever pandemic agreement, international health regulations, conference of the parties, whatever they are cooking up in the cauldron there uh, at the World Health Organization will not be good and will only further cement the biosecurity state into place. So I have my eye on that. And more broadly speaking, I, as always, as I have for the past decade and a half, but I feel it more and more, I think if there is to be some sort of cataclysmic false flag type event, it will take place in the cyber domain. And after such an event and whatever draconian eye patriot act they put in place after such an event, Well, I hope you can still hear my voice after that point, because I can imagine that the Internet and the world in general will be a very different place if they do um, pull that particular trigger. Yeah, I'm thinking it may be highly controlled. I mean, we're already seeing where access to and the ability to search and find things has definitely been altered, especially in recent years. Um, very, very difficult to find. I mean, I've, I've turned around and put in exact names of articles for stuff that I know that you wrote and not been able to pull it up on the first few pages of different search engines. Okay. On a personal level, some of your stuff is getting pushed down more and it's being done in a way that I don't fully understand. I understood the algorithms before and the keyword stuff before and how they were shunting us off into different directions. Um, but I think the, the, the control over the feeds is going to be seemingly obvious to people like you and me, but it's going to add to a more oblivious public who are going to think that they have access to everything in the world when really they don't. And I think it's going to be done on a higher level. I think we're, we're going to see, oh God, I'm trying not to use some of these terms I've heard in the past, but the internet ghettos, 
the idea that there's, you know, more than one Internet and it's going to be the Internet for the people, then the Internet for some people who are in the know. And it's going to be very different. It's not just one World Wide Web anymore. I think that's going to become more and more obvious. And that's what they're going to do as opposed to taking it down. Um, but then again, there's always surprise elements in the cyber uh, sector of these things. And don't forget AI. That's supposed to be a massive specter as well, right? Um, so I think all these things are going to play in. But I'm thinking they can't go full white hot, though, for the next 10 months on the selection. I think they still need a couple of months with some other shiny object. They're going to need something to fill in the gap, I think. But then again, I don't know. I, I, I've been I've been fooled before. I mean, after all, I, I thought since Don Lemon said he was going to go on to uh, uh, Twitter X next, that uh, that was going to be an interesting reception. And then that didn't seem to happen either. I guess it didn't test well. Um, although, you know, again, uh, your, your, your hero could be Elon Musk because after all, he's an independent guy, isn't he? And he's a fighter for freedom, isn't he? Uh, did I, did I, where's the emoji for sarcasm? I don't know where it is. All right, James, I really thank you for taking the time today. And if there's anything else you want to drop in, uh, you know, just to put into people's uh, way here, give them something else to look forward to. What do you got coming up on, uh, of course, CorbettReport.com. I advise people to go there all the time. Uh, you, you come up in conversations constantly. I want you to know that, especially between other podcasters and myself, you know, um, and I always recommend, highly recommend, and even if I don't necessarily agree with everything James says, it's always incredibly uh, ethical and ethical. His work, in my opinion, it's actual journalism, mostly open source, uh, to be quite frank with you, and the best analysis you're going to find, most consistent and longest standing guy I know out there doing this. Um, so... But uh, CorbettReport.com, obviously go over there. And if you don't know him, welcome to Planet Earth. Welcome to my show and welcome to the Internet. Uh, but um, here we go, James. What what uh, what do you got coming up that you want people to know about on Corbett Report? Or is there anything else you want to drop in before I let you go for today? Well, I appreciate all of that, Chuck. I do I do appreciate what you're saying there. And I, I'm, I take that responsibility that I have as someone that um, does have a following in the independent media. I take that very seriously. And I hope I can live up to that responsibility. And as part of that, one thing that I do is focus on solutions. I have a regular weekly series called Solutions Watch where we don't dwell on the problems. We talk about things that people can actually do about those problems. So if you, like me, are concerned about what will or will not be rubber stamped at the World Health Organization World uh, Health Assembly in Geneva um, this coming May and want to know about the WHO agenda and what we can actually do about it. At the time that we are recording this, I have just recorded a Solutions Watch episode on that question specifically. It will be jam-packed with information and guests and uh, other things that people can actually practically do to start taking the bull by the horns on this coming biosecurity agenda. So I would just direct people in the direction of that particular edition of Solutions Watch and the Solutions Watch series in general. So there you have it, guys. Once again, James Corbett, CorbettReport.com. And no matter who you are, where you are, when you are, I want you to know that I am merely...